1: Hello, and welcome back to our deep dive into sovereign debt restructuring. I'm Robin Wigglesworth, the US Markets Editor for the Financial Times. Last time, we explored the Argentine Pari saga. That's the debacle that followed Argentina's debt restructuring in 2001. It shows you just how messy it can get when countries go bankrupt. But this time, we'll be looking at another country that has a long and ignoble history of defaulting on its debts. But it's also one that offers pointers and possible solutions. I'm talking about Greece. The story of Greece's fall has been told many times. But what we're interested in is just how the country managed to restructure a whopping 200 billion euros of its debts relatively smoothly, despite fears that it would lead to an Argentine-style hot, steamy mess and plunge Europe into the abyss. This tale starts in May 2010, around the time when the Greek crisis first started to rumble. Lee Buchheit, a prominent sovereign debt lawyer, and Mito Gulati, a law professor at Duke University, published an incendiary paper that at the time flew in the face of the Eurozone's public line. Not only did they suggest that Greece had to restructure, they laid out a radical blueprint for just how to do it. And we'll get to their solution later on. Remember that the challenge of Argentina was that there was no way to ensure that a restructuring deal agreed by a majority of creditors, no matter how grudging, could be bound on all creditors. So in the wake of the messy Argentine situation, various people tried to come up with a solution. The International Monetary Fund even proposed a sort of bankruptcy court for countries.
2: In 2002, the International Monetary Fund, led by then-first deputy managing director Anne Krieger, proposed just such a thing. Nothing short of a transnational bankruptcy regime. And a lot of work was done on it. Fascinating project. In the end, it died on the vine. Uh, Not
1: because of the analytics, but because of the politics. That's Lee Bukait, partner at Cleary Gottlieb. Basically, the US Treasury got cold feet and withdrew its support. Without the US, the IMF just couldn't continue. In a traditional bankruptcy, a judge oversees the process. But in sovereign debt, the IMF is pretty much the only body that could fulfill this role. Not only is it itself a big lender to countries in distress, it is also ruled by a board appointed by its biggest shareholders, its member countries. It is a political body. And would they feel comfortable
2: in lending to sovereigns, recognizing that ultimately the fate of their... Credit extensions is going to be decided by politicians who are obviously going to be looking out for their own geopolitical
1: interests. Instead, the US Treasury championed a less radical contractual solution. Remember how I said that bond documents usually have an array of clauses? Well, the Treasury argued that countries should henceforth include a so called collective action clause, a typical one would stipulate that if more than 75% of bondholders voted for a restructuring deal, then it would bind all the bondholders, in theory precluding anyone from playing the holdout game. These days, most countries, certainly developing ones, include collective action clauses in all their bonds.
2: These clauses have been in English law bonds since 1879, but they never cut on here for purely historical reasons and no public policy behind them. But the U.S., uh, and indeed the, uh, the G10, very strongly endorsed them in 2002.
1: And they are now present in virtually every New York law sovereign bond. But they have some important weaknesses that clever, bold hedge funds can exploit. If you manage to snap up 25% of a bond, you can, in effect, block a restructuring. And as my colleague Elaine Moore points out, the clauses only work bond by bond. What that means is that even if the majority of a country's creditors vote in favour of a restructuring, several hedge funds or even just one hedge fund can crowd into specific securities and in practice hive them from a restructuring. So let's return to Greece and the solution offered by Lee and eventually adopted as a blueprint for the restructuring Once he was later hired by Athens. Lee, along with Mito Galati, noticed that the vast majority of Greece's bonds were issued under local Greek law even if they had been sold mostly to international investors. And local laws can be changed by the national parliament. So Greece simply passed the law that retroactively fitted collective action clauses into its debt.
3: That was a pretty dramatic move on the part of a sovereign to actually change the law ex
1: post. That's Doug Redeker, who was a US executive director at the IMF at the time. But Greece went further. It introduced so-called super into its debt. These addressed one of the main weaknesses of the old-school clauses. They included aggregation. In other words, they extended across the entire debt stock so a supermajority of creditors could bind all creditors, neutering the holdout danger in individual bonds. Although it got the Greek restructuring deal done, hedge funds were still able to block the restructuring of many of the country's foreign law bonds. Rather than risk a messy Argentine-style situation, Athens grudgingly repaid those bonds in full. Still, some creditors, such as Greylock's Hans Humes, were pretty unhappy at what they saw as a piece of sneaky legal jujitsu by Lee and his colleagues at Clary Gottlieb. I understand that they are lawyers who want to be, you know, the guys in the room on the side of the borrowers. But in terms of guardians of the system, whoever's been looking over this shouldn't be patting themselves on the back of how cute a solution was because the long-term damage compared to the short-term advantage is very similar to what they're doing with this CAC language. In other words, Hans argues it wasn't necessary to get a deal done, and by retroactively fitting in those beefed-up bond clauses, it opened up a hornet's nest. It makes it more likely that other countries will do something similar, which could, in extremists, make fund managers less likely to lend to countries. For... Lee Bukai and Cleary Gottlieb, wow, this is really cool. Look what I can
2: do. Aren't I smart? <laughs> what is the long-term damage? You know, it's not, maybe not as much of a thing in Greece because it's in the euro. But for the long-term development of emerging market the countries,
1: to make it sustainable, you need to build up their domestic capital markets. As Elaine notes, the eurozone was aware of this risk. What the Eurozone did to try to make things a bit neater and more formal was mandate that all countries in the currency zone should in the future issue bonds with these so-called super CACs. Crucially, the voting threshold was lowered from the usual 75% to 66% and extend across a country's debt stock. If more than 50% of a bond's holders voted against restructuring, they can block the aggregation that is still a far higher hurdle than 25%. And that isn't all. In the wake of the Argentine litigation and the Greek restructuring, the International Capital Markets Association, a kind of trade body for the finance industry, also realized that something had to be done. It now recommends that all countries include super cacs in their bonds, and many are now doing so.
3: The problem is there's a potential for holdout behavior to affect... uh... Global financial stability, that was seen not just in the case of Argentina, which many people are familiar with, but possibly less familiar was in Greece in the restructuring, particularly in 2012. In that situation, holdouts almost blocked that restructuring from happening. And because Greece was a member of the, the EU, uh is a very, very big, very different situation because of the potential risk of contagion throughout the EU. People were very, very frightened and concerned at the time. So as a result, uh, something had to be changed in the global financial architecture.
1: That was Lee Goss, ICMA's chief lawyer. In response to Elliott's legal successes against Argentina, the organisation also recommended that countries tweak the incendiary pari clause to use language that would be less susceptible to copycat litigation.
3: Um, that was a fairly simple and uncontroversial fix that uh, many borrowers are, are, are happily taking up. And that just stops this this right of rateable payment. So it stops a court from ordering a government to not pay the good guy investors who have taken the right down unless they pay the bad guy vulture funds who have to be paid in full.
1: I spoke to Anna Galpin again, the law professor at Georgetown, who was part of the group that negotiated these new principles. She says these super caps are a big step forward for the sovereign debt world.
3: I think that it is uh, without question the most robust mechanism to block holdouts so far in all this contractual reform. It's not total protection and it probably shouldn't be total protection. The question is whether it enables the right people and blocks the right people. And I think that, you know, we'll have to see, but it's certainly promising.
1: However, and there is always a however in sovereign debt restructuring, this is not a panacea. But SuperCAC's and neutralised clauses, and are gradually filtering into government debt, is a good thing. But as Lee Goss points out, there are two big, glaring weaknesses.
3: They are not retroactive. You can only put them into new debt. It's estimated that it could take as, as, as far as 10 years before there's a critical mass, say 70% of the debt stock is replaced sufficiently with the, 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 the new super caps, uh, to really make a, a, a difference. The other disadvantage is that they're voluntary.
1: In the messy world of sovereign debt restructuring, this is probably all we're going to get. Next time, we're heading to Jamaica, where we will end the series on a hopefully more upbeat note. I'm Robin Wigglesworth. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced and edited by the wonderful Amy Keen.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.